0: Please be seated. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 6, a moment we're going to read through the first 15, 15 verses. We have come to one of Jesus' most famous miracles, the fourth sign in the gospel, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And so let's read. This text, And as John says, when, when Jesus performs miracles, when he does signs, uh, we're, we're meant to see Jesus' glory. Uh, it's an announcement of who he is and why he came. So let's, let's see this and have our faith tested this morning. This is God's word. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, that is about two-thirds of a yearly salary, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is is indeed the prophet who is to come in the world into the world perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself uh, this is god's word he has spoken to us today in love uh, that word is true and trustworthy let's pray our father our god i pray that you would uh, reveal the glory of jesus to our hearts this morning and that we would see what is the immeasurable greatness of his power that is at work in and for us, uh, for those who know and trust him. And so we ask, Lord, that we would be filled with your spirit so that we might trust that power, the power of your presence, the power of your grace in the midst of our weakness, so that we might be your faithful witnesses in the world. So chase away our unbelief this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So when was the last time that you felt powerless? (laughs) Like, you know, that anxiety-filled, induced feeling that comes from not having enough, um, not being enough, (laughs) right? You know, on the one hand, you can think of... uh, just poverty, right? Being poor. Maybe those times you've maybe you've experienced times of not knowing whether you're going to be able to pay your bills. Wow. It's a humbling place to be. Maybe it's just seeing and experiencing needs where it's just way beyond your ability to help. That, that's where the disciples are this morning. And in in my twenties, and got to visit a, a hospital in northern Uganda. And in yeah. you know, my twenties, this was just a very significant experience in my in my Christian walk, because they got to see all kinds of powerless people. Um, they've been beaten down by sickness. I mean, there, were, there were kids with lymphoma, so like they, their faces were swollen. Um, there were babies who had IV ports in their head because they had malaria. Uh, there were mothers who had, who had walked uh, countless miles from, from southern Sudan to get down to Arua, Uganda. It's at least 100 miles um, just to get health treatment, and now that they were there, they had the the question: Do we buy medicine for our kids, or do we eat today? Right. And then they say, Nate, will you pray for them? <laughs> As a single dude, spoiled in America, right? Like I had no context. You feel powerless. You feel helpless. I feel like Philip. We don't have the resources to fix this problem, right? Here comes a large crowd of needy people. What am I supposed to do? And so as we jump into the text this morning, right, this, it's, I think it's significant that Jesus said he, he tells Philip, where are we going to buy food for these people uh, in order to test him, to test his faith. Do you know who you have right next to you? Uh, do you know who Jesus is? Right? And you, you see what he did. It, it, Jesus deliberately stresses them out. right? He knows he's going to feed them, and yet he still asks what we would call an obvious question, where are we going to buy bread so that these people can eat? And he asked that question, I believe, to to get Philip and the disciples uh, to look at their powerlessness, uh, to become more aware of their inability to form faith in them, to faith in Jesus's power to provide.
1: All
0: right. So this morning, just this is this is kind of the, the the warning, if you will. Get ready for Jesus to test your faith, as He shines a light on our weakness, um, on our powerlessness, so that we might trust Him while we are weak, to see to see and trust His sufficiency um, for our daily needs. Right, as Jesus teaches us, "Lord, give us our daily bread." And so let's let's jump into the text, and, and have Jesus test us this morning. The first point. Uh, that, that Jesus is teaching his disciples here is they got to learn to see the crowds, learn to see need. Um, right? So there's the, the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle apart from the resurrection that's recorded in all four gospels. So what happens here to the apostles, to, to those who were there, um, for them, this, this is a, an event of Huge importance, of chief significance to understanding who Jesus is and why he came and what he did, right? So that's just setting the stage so you can see how important this miracle is. The only miracle on all four Gospels, apart from Jesus' resurrection. The second thing that's helpful to see is just how big this crowd is. It says there are 5,000 men, right? But that's not counting women or children, we know there's a little boy there, at least. So maybe it's 5,001. <laughs> so the range is 5,001. <laughs> now, if, if there are women and children there, this could be a crowd as, as, as much as 10 to 20,000. Right? Coming out into the wilderness, hoofing up the mountain, chasing the one who they think is going to well, chase away all their sorrow and sadness because he's healing the sick. And what that means then is, is this event is probably the most public, the most witnessed miracle in Jesus' ministry. Yeah. We have a note in, in Corinthians that Jesus appeared after the resurrection to five hundred people. This is potentially twenty thousand people, right? Who are who are tasting Jesus' power and compassion? Who, right? Even in, even as these gospels are written. Within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, there as a lot of people to say yes or no, that did or did not happen. <laughs>
1: right.
0: And so the question this morning is, do you believe the gospels are telling you the truth? Do you believe this is an actual uh, supernatural miracle uh, that there are 10 to 20,000 people that saw five loaves and two fishes fill the bellies along with, of that, that crowd and have enough left over to fill 12 baskets, right? Because you, you read some commentaries and, and some modern Christians would argue, you know, the real miracle is that Jesus was so generous he just inspired everyone to share their lunch, right? Jesus inspires generosity, therefore you ought to be generous, um, and then the application becomes you go care for the poor they're hungry feed them right now being generous and caring for the poor are everywhere in the scriptures <laughs> it's classic taste a uh, classic case of right doctrine wrong text <laughs> right all the gospel all of the gospel writers want us to see that there are five loaves of barley bread right not high quality bread, but five small loaves of, of bread and, and two sardines, two small fishes. right? This is not a wealthy person's lunch. Uh, the, the fish are there likely just to give the bread flavor, uh, which is not great if you don't like fish. <laughs> right? No, this, this really happened. This is something that they want us to see. This is, this is an actual supernatural event. We have some clues because of, of the way the story is told. Like, I like pointing this out, that in the Gospels, there are just useless eyewitness details. All right? There was much grass in the place. Do you really need to know that they sat on grass? Not really. Mark actually mentions in his account that it was green grass. Right? So it's, it's telling you the time of year, so that, that part's significant. So Richard Baucom, right, he's, he's the guy who wrote Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, and, and, and anyone who questions the historical veracity of the gospel accounts has to deal with Baucom's arguments. And he's, his comment on, is this, is that when, you, when John and the other gospel writers mention the grass, it's, it's the kind of detail that has to come from eyewitnesses because only modern fiction makes up small, useless details like the grass. Right. In other words, it's impossible for this to be a legend, something made up, because why would you include that? That's something that hasn't been invented for 2,000 years. <laughs> right? And it's significant because the only time of year in the wilderness where you would find green grass is during the time of the Passover, which John mentions in verse 4. Right. And so we have a large crowd who came to the mountain hungry, who left with their stomachs full, satisfied, Witnesses of Jesus's power and compassion. It actually happened. Now look at verse five. We can see what Jesus is teaching here, right? The large crowd comes, and he's a master teacher, and he's teaching his disciples on how to do ministry, even as he's revealing himself to them, which is really encouraging. As you follow Jesus, you don't have to know everything. Jesus reveals himself over time. Um, but he turns to Philip and says, "How are we going to feed these people?" It's like and you've got to see the connection. Jesus sees the crowd, and then he looks at Philip and says, do you see the crowd? <laughs> right? Here comes people who are hungry. And Mark tells us that G- when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion. And so what is Jesus doing? He, he's tra- I believe he's training his disciples to see the crowds as he sees them, to see their need. And at least in Philip's case, be overwhelmed by the depths of their need. Uh, to, to be confronted by your own inadequacy to meet the physical and spiritual needs of the world. Right? What a great discipleship program. <laughs> where, where Jesus set you up to feel powerless on your own. And that, that's a key word, on your own. Right? where he tests your faith to put you in situations where you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, and you don't have enough, and you don't feel like you are enough, so that your only option is faith in the one who provides.
1: All right.
0: I mean, that's, that's what Philip is realizing and experiencing. Jesus, even 200 denarii, a denarii, one denarii was one day's wage. So it's roughly two-thirds of a salary that's not enough to even give these people a little bit, right? They'd be fighting over crumbs. Philip has to come to that confession. I cannot do this on my own. I don't have the resources. We don't have the resources to fix this, right? And if you want to add to the picture, right, we're talking about spirit, just, just hunger in general. There are people who, who are hungry, right? But this crowd, they're not just hungry, they're spiritually poor as well. They're spiritually hungry. That's where John 6 is going to go. Right? They need more than a full belly. They need more than a healthy body. They need to eat the bread of life to overcome death. They need to know Jesus.
1: Right.
0: So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. If you eat this bread, you shall live forever. But if, the implication being, if you don't eat this bread, you will die. You cannot live life in a fallen world without the bread of life. Straight from Jesus' mouth. Right? So if you're, you're looking at the world, you're looking at our neighbors, you're looking at our community, Jesus is saying every human being, all 7.8 billion of them and growing, need the bread of life. In other words, they're not just hungry, they're, they're in spiritual poverty. They need, they need the good news of His resurrection, the good news of His grace. They need to know the God to be reconciled to the living God, as, as John six twenty nine says. Well, this is God's will for you to believe in the one whom God sent. That's what they need. So, when you see people, do you see that as well? That, that their hearts need changed. Uh, a guy named uh, J.H. Bovink. Uh, he was a, a Dutch pastor in Sumatra, in the Pacific, and then he, w- he was a missionary in, in uh, Indonesia, and eventually became a professor and wrote books. But I just want you to hear it, right? He, this is somebody who had boots on the ground, uh, engaged in the act of, of, of missions, of making Jesus known, and, and he writes this about church. He says that people wish to main, qu- remain quiet in their own peaceful little church, where they can safely brood about God and be completely preoccupied with the needs of their own souls. They do not want to be shocked by the bewildering idea that there's still hundreds of millions, or we would just say billions, of people who have never heard the gospel. In other words, um, spirituality is great when it's about me thinking about what I need and my hunger working out my problems, surrounded by people who believe like me. And yet I, what Jesus is up to with his disciples is lift up your eyes and see. Right? Look at the crowd. See their physical needs, and then this conversation is going to turn uh, later in the chapter to their spiritual poverty as well as the crowd's. Now, therefore, go. Right. How are you going to provide for them? And so this is the test. You see your, your lack of resources to give to others what they need, right, to meet their material needs as well as their spiritual needs. Right? He's testing their faith. It's so much easier to do church where we stay safely in our building, we stare at our Bible, we read about what it's like to be to be fishers of men, and we you know, come up with all kinds of great theories, but we never actually, as Jack Miller says, put the boat out into sea and cast a net. Right. But when we're confronted by poverty, by hunger, by people saying, I'm homeless, uh, by, by people just, just dealing with death and all of the, those complications, right? Then you add mental health troubles, you add addictions, and then you add that our call is to alleviate spiritual poverty so that they might know Jesus. And for them to know Jesus, their heart needs to be changed. And who here in this room can change the human heart? Right, welcome to the call to ministry. Because the moment you take up your cross and follow Jesus and he, he gets you to face the crowds, you have to be confronted by your own powerlessness on your own. Where you say, I can't do that. I don't know what to say. It's too much time. Right? Got to be confronted. How are you going to feed them? So let me ask you this, this morning, um, before we move on to see who Jesus is and what he offers what commands of Jesus are you wrestling with right now? You know, where, are you, where are you wrestling with, I do not have the resources to fix this problem? Right. It, could be, it could be evangelism. It could be trying to communicate who Jesus is to others who don't know him. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's just the day in, day out of serving people, of parenting. You know, if if you wait until you're strong enough, the question is: Is that really faith? Right? Or is it just waiting for self-improvement to magically happen? And Jesus laid out what faith sounds like in chapter five. This is what we looked at the last couple of weeks. Right? That the divine Son of God, as a human being, said, "I can do nothing on my own. Apart from my Father, I can do nothing." I only do what I see my Father do. That's Jesus Christ saying, I am willfully choosing. He's not insufficient because he's the divine son of God, but he's insufficient by himself. And so Jesus, I think, is testing our faith. Do Do you trust that Jesus will give you what you need for each moment? To give you what you need to love and serve. Can you say, like Paul, I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound, and in every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthened me. That's faith. And yet I know, because I know my own heart, if I were to to write a confession of sin based on this passage, it would be something along the lines of, not I can do nothing apart from God, it's I can do a lot of things on my own. Lord, forgive me. <laughs> and so the question is, Is will you trust, will we trust Jesus' sufficiency, his provision? That's the second point here is the call to trust what Jesus is going to do. And if you look at Jesus, the first thing that surprises me about this is um, the gracious way he, he allows himself to be interrupted. He's allowing his vacation is to be interrupted, so to speak. Right? He's he deliberately is withdrawing, getting to a quiet place. Right? You can imagine if you're sitting on a beach, finally away from the noise of your 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 work, or if you're a parent and you're finally it's finally quiet. Right? The last thing you want is for your rest to be interrupted, and yet here is Jesus, who sees uh, twenty thousand people coming to interrupt him each and every person with a need. And he uses that moment to disciple, to reveal himself, to reveal his glory. Now, what does Jesus announce about himself by feeding all these people? This is really helpful. Where are they? Right, first, some important points here. One, they're in the wilderness. Right? They pulled away from people. That's how Mark, Luke, and Matthew talk about it. But John specifically says they're up on a mountain. And in, in, the, 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 Jewish, in the days of Jesus, it was just a common belief that when the Messiah came, he was going to bring God's people into the wilderness and again feed them bread from on high. All right. So second Baruch uh, which, which claims to take place between the Old and New Testament and the intertestamental period, describe, describes exactly this. It says that those who, who are hungry will enjoy themselves and see marvels. Sounds like our passage. And then it says the treasury of manna will come down again from on high and they will eat of it. And so part of what Jesus is doing is, is revealing to the disciples and to the crowd, I am the one filled with God's power, who provides bread in the wilderness. So what kind of person does that? Right. I mean, Jesus is the answer to the question of Psalm 78, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Jesus says, yes, I can. Watch me. Right. You're getting a glimpse of his divine power being more than enough to meet, meet the needs of the people. He's Jesus is claiming to be the one that Moses testified to, that he pointed to. Moses prayed and God provided. Jesus just provides. So who is he? Very clear picture of the Lord. Can add another dimension to what's going on here, some other Old Testament background. In 2 Kings 4, Elisha the prophet finds himself in Gilgal during a famine, And there are loads of people. He's got over 100 men with him that are hungry. And a man brings 20 loaves of barley bread. It's Nowhere near enough to satisfy 100 guys. And so Elisha tells his servant to just pass out the bread so that they might eat and have leftovers. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, There's super abundant provision through Elisha the prophet so that the men ate, and there were leftovers. So you can see what Jesus is tapping in here to. This tradition that when the Messiah comes, he's going to be like these prophets, but better. Or you can hear the echoes of Elisha in the way John tells the story. And why everyone there would say, oh, here's, this indeed is the prophet, the one who is to come into the world. There's someone who's able to feed God's people course, Jesus takes Elisha's miracle, which is small, and, and amplifies it because he feeds thousands of people until they're full. And then to show to each and every disciple, right, there's, there's 12 baskets of leftovers. See, I have enough for you. <laughs> so that they can see the superabundance of Jesus' power. So, right, we've, we've looked at our weakness. What do we have when we walk by faith with Jesus, we see that um, Jesus's power is not just sufficient for our weaknesses. Jesus is showing, my power is super abundant for your weakness. Let's say you have a debt. You you owe owe some loan sharks $20,000. You know what kind of help would be sufficient? (laughs) $20,000 to get you back to zero. Super abundant help would be, I see your debt, and then I want to help you get ahead. Leave you with extra money in your bank account. Now, that's the idea of what Jesus is doing here. He's not just feeding them. He's feeding them to their full, and there's extra. We're, we're, seeing, we're seeing Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, whose power is immeasurably great towards those who believe seeing this new creation power at work. And so the words aren't there of rebuke. They'll, they'll be, Jesus will rebuke his disciples when, they, when he crosses the water here. But it's like he's saying to us, to Philip, right? don't you see who I am? Don't you see who walks with you? Don't you see that my power is more than sufficient for your weakness? Look at the crowds. Look at me. Then go. You don't go alone. Right? There's one more detail that just shows the power of what Jesus is announcing about himself. John is very specific that Jesus is up on a mountain. Verse 3. Every other gospel account says Jesus is out in the wilderness. But only John mentions he's on a mountain. It's not a contradiction, right? It's just an extra detail. Right? Why would he mention the mountain? And the, you know, the, the Bible scholars mention, you know, where do you see the Lord providing a feast on a mountain? In right? Isaiah 25, it's is the famous one, where it says, on this mountain, the Lord will make for all peoples a, f- a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of, of the best food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that's cast over all the peoples, the veil that's spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away all tears from all their faces. And the shame, the reproach of his people, he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken." And it will be said on that day, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. See, Jesus knew what he was doing. (laughs) When he's on a mountain and he lays out a feast, this may not be the best food and there's no wine, it's just some barley loaves and bread. This is just a sneak preview of the feast that will overcome death which is why he will call himself the bread of life, the way through death, so that you may live. He is the Lord of the Old Testament who doesn't just come to heal our sickness. And he he doesn't just come for the disciples, he comes for the world. He says, I am the bread of life. To eat me is to overcome death through faith in me. You have to know me. I mean, Jesus claimed to be Yahweh of the Old Testament, claiming to be the Lord's going to become more clear next week when we look at uh, walking on water. but you're getting a glimpse of it right now. Who else has this kind of divine power? Right? And if that's who He is, what matters more?? Right? Having your stomach full or knowing the one who's able to provide a feast to protect us from death? So I think if you start to, to meditate on John 6 and Isaiah 25, you're seeing Jesus announce his divinity for the world to a large crowd and saying, I'm ready to cover your shame and feed you grace for your guilt. While I swallow up death. That's the magnitude of the power of Christ. He's able to do more than you can ask or imagine, according to Paul. Now, how does that power go to work? In a small boy. And this is how we'll, we'll conclude here. Right? Who did Jesus use for the miracle? Right? It wasn't uh, a disciple. It wasn't the wealthiest person in the room. It was a, a boy from poverty who had barley bread and two fish. Right? Barley bread is disgusting. <laughs> right? it, it is not something you would choose to eat by choice. It's the meal of the poor. It's meant to fill your stomach so you're not thinking about it. Right? It's, it's hard and tasteless. So you eat, right? it's, the fish is for flavor. Right? If you've ever seen the film Babette's Feast, which we watched here a few years ago, right? what, sh- what all the poor are living off of in this poor village is, is the kind of bread that you have to just boil water and soak it in so you can just eat the mush. Kind of bread you could use to play baseball with. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I just want you to see that right, this is not, this is Jesus taking what the little boy has, taking who he is, and, and using it to multiply, to meet the needs of the crowd, to do more than what this little guy could surely ask or imagine. All right, so, what does that teach us? That Jesus is able To use the one who is, he's nameless, he has no delusions of grandeur, he has no cultural power, he has no money, he just comes as he is with the resources he has that God has given him. Powerless, weak. And so, as we sang this morning, this is just a call to come who are weary and heavy laden by the fall to bring your weakness, to trust Jesus' power and ponder anew what, he, what the Almighty will do when his lo- with his love he will befriend you that, that will you trust that Jesus' power will super abundantly provide for you in your weakness as you come to him as you are now why does Jesus withdraw he does this amazing thing and then he runs away because um, everybody wants to crown him king because Jesus knows, Jesus knows their stomachs. We'll put it that way. All they want is a ruler who will take away their temporary sadness. They just want to stop complaining about how hard life is, which I would count myself in that crowd. <laughs> right? But Jesus came for so much more than just meeting material needs. And this, is, this leads us to the gospel. Jesus came that so whoever would eat of his flesh and drink of his blood would eat the bread of life, would live forever. Right? Jesus doesn't just show us that weakness, he doesn't just tell us that weakness is the way. He lives it out. I mean, did you catch the, the, the communion language? Even in the telling of how the miracle happened here, as we read it, right? It's in verse um, Verse 10. There 11, Jesus took the bread, he took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Sounds an awful lot like Corinthians, like the Last Supper, when Jesus breaks the bread and says, this is my body, which is broken for you.
1: Right.
0: You, you see, the one who is super abundantly powerful, willing in love to be broken for us, so that we might live with him. Or to connect to Isaiah 25, right? Jesus in weakness is willing to be swallowed up by death in love for us so that we could eat of his broken body and live and have him wipe away our tears. And the way you connect is faith. In John 6, 29... This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom God has sent. So do you trust him? If he provided for you in your most deepest need, when you didn't even know to ask for it, will you thou trust him as his, as his sheep, you know, as his younger brothers and sisters, as being Christ's people, will you trust that he will provide Right. So, let's apply this. If you're going to learn from Jesus' work through this small boy, right, are, you, are you willing to start your day by acknowledging, well, just saying the opposite, right? The opposite of the train who could, right? right? You know the, you know the kid's story, right? The train that's going up the hill and says, I think I can, I think I can, and goes back down and says, I knew I could, I knew I could. <laughs> And if you start your day believing the gospel, you're going to start your day saying, "I can't, but with Christ I can." Not in a prosperity gospel way, but I can get through my day knowing I'm not alone. He will, "How would that change the way you pray? I mean, I think the places where we will be the most effective in the gospel. Is where we're most aware of our weakness. Right? Where we, we have to be the most dependent on the Holy Spirit to help us. Right? So think about that. This is next time you're trying to change your kids' minds in parenting or trying to know what to say when, when you have an opportunity to talk about Jesus in the workplace or when you're just afraid to do what is right. Now, an awareness of our Natural power, powerlessness on our own leads to more prayer. And prayer is just living out our natural dependence, a life of faith. Right. Now, the work of the church, I have this quote, I don't know where I found it, but it says, your, your, your work in the world is resurrection work. All right. And since resurrection can't be accomplished by our works, you have to live by faith. And second, second application, we need to take time and, as a church and meditate more deeply on what Paul meant when he said, I have a thorn in my flesh that God has given me, that God refuses to take away so that I might be aware of my weakness and aware of the sufficiency of God's grace in that weakness, right? We don't know what it is, bad habit, physical, physical weakness, I love that it's generic enough to cover all of that, <laughs> right? But if, if we're going to really believe what, what, the, what Jesus is saying about himself and about us, we have to see that God our weakness is by God's design, because sin by nature makes us want to live without God. And, and when we have God, we have grace that is his help for us in our time of need. And so the goal is that day by day, we're able to say, hear God say to us, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness, which means the Christian life is one where you're being made aware of both at the same time, how weak we are and how strong God is. And I think maturity in faith is going to look less, less like being more independent and more more like saying yeah lord i am more weaker than i would ever care to admit but with you i have your power working for me that is immeasurably greater than i can could ever think of or ask for and we know that to be true because it's the same power that raised christ from the dead and because that power is the holy spirit and we have the spirit helping us day by day so will you trust christ whose body was broken for you let's pray Our Father, our God, we thank you uh, for Jesus, the bread of life, who, who looks at the crowds and looks at us with compassion. And so I pray if there are those who do not know this saving grace uh, that, is, that saves us from ourselves, that saves us from our, from our independence, um, may you show them uh, the compassion of their Savior who laid down his life for them. And for those of us who are your disciples, continue to reveal to us our weakness, even as you show us uh, the greatness of your power working for us. So may we be a community that, whose testimony can be the, that Jesus is at work among us. And you can see that in our faith, in our weakness. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.